Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 360 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to uh, talk about the stock market. Now, this is not going to be a normal day talking about the stock market. Uh, here's what I'm going to begin doing, just uh, to let you guys know moving forward. I'm going to do uh, what, what I'm going to call Fundamental Fridays. right? Uh, and basically, on Fridays, I am going to talk about things that I think are fundamental uh, to your knowledge of personal finance. right? Uh, things that if you, know, you have things licked a little bit more than this, then that's fine. You don't have to uh, pay attention to this episode. But if you're somebody who's just getting started and you feel like you need a little guidance, you need a little help, you need a better uh, knowledge base before you move forward doing anything, Fridays are going to be the day for you. And so I'm going to begin that today. And I'm going to begin by talking about how does the stock market work, right? What is the stock market? What are stocks, right? I'm going to talk about all those things in today's episode and hopefully help you to build a better knowledge base as we move forward. And tell me how you like these. Tell me how uh, these may help uh, your understanding as somebody who might be a novice when it comes to financial concepts. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to the show on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, the stock market. Now, you know that I talk about this quite often, right? And I don't talk about it in terms of what is it. I make a big assumption and I say, you guys should know what it is, right? If you listen to the show on any uh, reasonable, regular basis, right? But um, if you are new, if you're somebody who doesn't understand very well exactly what the stock market is, how it works, um, what it has for you, what it can offer you, then I want to make that clear today on my first Fundamental Friday episode, right? Uh, so I want to talk about what the stock market is, how it works, uh, and then how it can benefit you. So we're going to spend a lot of time on what it is and how it works. So uh, just bear with me. And again, if this is uh, too elementary for you, that is okay. But there are a lot of things here that I think uh, will be able to help a lot of people, and I'm going to try to uh, be as general as possible to make sure uh, that you have a good grasp of what I'm talking about before we end this episode. So um, for a lot of people, the stock market is scary, right? It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to invest in the stock market because they're like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it does. I don't know how things go. All I hear about are crashes on the news. I don't ever hear about the fact that the market goes up on average over 10% a year. And uh, I don't hear about uh, the great gains that people make. I just hear about crashes, right? Um, and that's not the reality of the stock market. The stock market is not uh, just a place where uh, you know your money goes to die. If anything, it's a place where your money can go to grow for a long period of time, right? Which is a fantastic thing, and which is why so many people take advantage of it. Now, for us to understand what the stock market is, we need to first understand what a stock is. Okay, so what a stock is is it is a financial instrument, right? Or just uh, this vehicle. 
that represents ownership in a company or a corporation, and it represents a proportionate claim on its assets, so what that company owns, uh, and its earnings, what it generates in profits. Right? Uh, so these are called shares or a company's equity. Okay, So when you buy a share of stock, uh, you are buying a proportionate claim of ownership on a company's assets and profits. Okay, So just for instance, let's say that there was a company um, that was worth a billion dollars. Okay, And let's just say that a billion dollar company got sold um, you know, to the public, which I'll get to that here in just a second. Right, It got sold to the public. Uh, in you know the form of a million shares, okay. Well, each one of those million shares, if the firm's worth a billion dollars, will be worth a thousand dollars, right? Because a thousand times a million give you a billion, okay. So uh, you would have a one thousand dollar share if you owned one share of that company, okay. Uh, and so you have a one out of a million share of that company which is kind of how the stock market works in general, right? But when it comes to ownership, that's exactly how it works. You have a proportional share uh, to the amount uh, that you actually purchase relative to uh, the total value of the firm. Now, the reason that these companies sell ownership into the public markets is because they need money, right? And there's only a few ways that companies can raise money. They can take out debt, they can use money that they already have on hand, or they can sell proportional ownership of their company, right? Which is selling shares of stock. And typically they won't sell so much uh, that the outside has uh, too much of a say and, and they control the company. They won't typically sell controlling interest, but they'll sell large amounts of the company to the public. Uh, that way the public can uh, you know, contribute to the firm's growth by giving them funds. Uh, and then ultimately, it can uh, allow those investors, right, those owners, in order to make some money on the other side. Now, stock ownership implies that the shareholders hold a slice of the company equal to the number of shares held as a proportion of the company's total outstanding shares. For instance, an individual or entity that owns 100,000 shares uh, of a company with 1 million outstanding shares would have a 10% ownership stake. Most companies have outstanding shares that run into the millions or billions, which is uh, very, very true. Okay. Now, what types of stock are there, right? You've probably heard of multiple types. You're confused, uh, multiple companies, this, that, or the other. What, how do they work, right? Well, there are two main types, and those two main types are common and preferred shares. Okay. Uh, and when you hear me say equity, that's just saying shares of stock. Okay. So common or preferred equity, right? And this may make it seem like preferred shares would be uh, what you wanted to invest in. Not necessarily the case. Now, the main distinction between the two is that the common shares carry voting rights. So basically, how does the company uh, move forward? Um, they can vote on the, uh, you know, the board of directors and all these different types of things that are going to happen um, over the course of the year with the firm. And then preferred shares are named that because preferred shareholders have priority over common shareholders to receive dividends and assets in the event of liquidation. So as far as liquidation goes or bankruptcy of a company goes, a preferred shareholder will get paid first, but that does not necessarily make them a better shareholder, right? If anything, the value of the firm uh, is best represented by the common shares, not the preferred shares. So if the company becomes more valuable over time, you're going to see that a lot more in the common shares than you ever would in the preferred shares. 
Now, common stock can be further classified in terms of voting rights. Now, while the basic premise of common shares is that they have equal voting rights, one vote per share uh, in many cases, right? Some companies have dual or multiple classes of stock with different voting rights attached to each class, right? So they may have what uh, we would call A shares or B shares or whatever, right? Uh, now, the A shares may have 10 votes per share, where the B shares may only have one vote per share. So if you hold A shares, they would be uh, more uh, valuable as far as control of the company. So a lot of the insiders are going to be holding A shares um, and have more voting rights than uh, those who may not be able to afford the A shares. Now, I'll give you a perfect example. Berkshire Hathaway is the best example of this. Because if you just looked up um, the Berkshire Hathaway Class A stock, right? Berkshire Hathaway Class A, uh, as of right now, uh, is trading for over $440,000 per share. I don't know about you, but I don't have $440,000 to buy one share of stock, right? But if you wanted to go and buy their Class B shares, right? You go and buy Class B shares for $290-something a share, right? So there's a big difference in share price. So what's that going to do? It's going to force a lot of people into buying the B shares, uh, which are more cost effective, uh, but have lower voting rights than the A shares, which you have to make a major commitment in order to invest in. Now, why do companies issue shares? Uh, well, today's corporate giant, you know, likely had its start as a small private entity at some point, right? Uh, you think of Jack Ma. Some of you may or may not know who Jack Ma is. Um, he uh, began Alibaba, right, which is a Chinese company. Uh, but think of Jack Ma incubating uh, Alibaba from his apartment uh, in China in 1999 or Mark Zuckerberg founding the earliest version of Facebook, now Meta, right, uh, from his Harvard University dorm room in 2004. Tech giants have become uh, some of the biggest companies in the world, but they started from some very humble means. However, uh, growing at such a frantic pace uh, requires access to a massive amount of capital. They need money in order to grow. Right, in order to make the transition from an idea uh, germinating in an entrepreneur's brain to an operating company, right? they need to have an office or a factory or they need to have employees or buy equipment or raw materials or whatever, and they have to put sales on the board. Now, these resources, they require significant amounts of capital depending on the scale and scope of the business startup. So this is why uh, a company may choose to sell ownership to the public. So a startup can raise uh, such capital either by selling shares or borrowing money. So I was talking about that earlier, earlier right? Equity financing or debt financing. Uh, now, debt financing can be a problem for a startup because it may have very few assets to pledge against a loan, right? Um, and especially if they're looking to take out large amounts of money, uh, the banks may look at them and go, no thanks, not interested. Okay, especially in sectors such as technology or biotech, where the firm has few tangible assets, right? Few tangible things that they can actually sell uh, in order to cover their debts. Then the financial institutions and, and you know the lenders, they're probably not going to be super interested if they don't think you can actually cover uh, the debts with your revenues or earnings, right? Um, so it's going to be difficult to raise money in that way. So what do they turn to? They turn to equity financing because all they have to do is sell uh, a portion of their company. Now, the entrepreneur may initially source funds from their personal savings and uh, friends and family to get the business off the ground, but as it expands, capital requirements are far too substantial, right? Think about how much money it must have taken in order to get Amazon to the scale that Amazon is at today, 
or Facebook to the scale that it's at today, right? These are very large companies. Think about the money it, may, it must have taken uh, way back when. And it still takes a lot of money to run those companies, but now they're producing uh, revenues and earnings in the way that they can cover uh, the things they need to cover. Uh, so ultimately, uh, business expands, uh, and they may turn to angel investors and venture capital firms, right? And that may be where they turn, these uh, private investors that will uh, you know, inject money into the company. Now, when a company establishes itself, it may need access to much larger amounts of capital, and it can get it from ongoing operations or traditional bank loan, uh, and it can do so by selling shares to the public through what we call an initial public offering, right? This is when the shares of the company, the amount of the company that they are willing to give up in ownership is sold to the public. It's the initial public offering. Now, this changes the status of the company from a private company whose shares are held by few shareholders to a publicly traded company uh, whose shares may be very widely dispersed. Now, the IPO offers early investors in the company an opportunity to cash out part of their stake. Okay, so if you go public, if the company goes public, well, it'll also give uh, the ability for those uh, who haven't been able to sell their share in the company to cash out if they ultimately want to. And a lot of people can make a lot of money when companies go public. Okay. Now, once the company's shares are listed on a stock exchange and trading, uh, it ultimately begins the whole process of what the stock market really is. Okay. Now, there are many different ratios and metrics that can be used to value stocks. Um, and, you know, many look at, you know, the PE ratio and all these different types of things. Uh, but, Stock analysis really falls into fundamental analysis and technical analysis. Fundamental meaning, um, you know, it's based on the fundamentals of the company, the actual values, the actual accounting data, the trends, where they're going with their actual revenues and earnings and things like that. But technical analysis has to do with the stock price, right? It has to do with the movement of the chart and where the chart's going. Uh, it doesn't focus on fundamentals. It focuses just on the price and the chart. Now, we understand what a share of stock is, right? We understand the different types of shares of stock, all those types of things. I know uh, this is a lot to cover within one episode, but hopefully it gives you a good idea. This is kind of like the show uh, Explained, right? Uh, the, the show Explained on Netflix where they take maybe half an hour and explain to you something. I'm doing that with the stock market today. Now, what is a stock exchange? Well, a stock exchange is what we call a secondary market where existing shareholders can transact with potential buyers. Okay. So the initial market or the primary market is when the IPO happens, right? That is the primary market. It's when shares are sold directly from the company to investors, right? But then when investors want to trade with one another and sell their shares to other investors, right? Then that happens in the secondary markets where stock exchanges occur, right? Now, uh, it's important to understand that co the corporations listed on stock markets do not buy and sell their own shares on a regular basis. Yes, they can repurchase their shares. Yes, they can sell more shares, but this does not happen all the time. Companies may engage in stock buybacks or issue new shares, but they are not day-to-day -day operations and often occur outside of the framework of an exchange. So when you buy a share of stock on the stock market, you're not buying it from the company, you're buying it from an existing shareholder. Likewise, when you sell your shares, you do not sell them back to the company, rather you sell them to some other investor. And all these investors are brought together via these exchanges. And you've heard of many of these exchanges, the you know New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, right? The, these uh, types of organizations 
organizations that get all of these companies' shares together to be able to quickly uh, tell what the price is going to be and make the transaction happen uh, in a very expeditious way. Okay, now. There are physical exchanges and over-the-counter exchanges, but I don't want to go uh, far too deep into that. I want to get into the thing that I think many of you are interested in uh, if you've stuck around this long, right? And that's how share prices are actually set, right? How do share prices get determined? Now, the price of shares uh, of a stock can be set in a number of ways. The most common is through an auction process uh, where buyers and sellers place bids and offers to buy or sell. A bid as the price at which somebody wishes to buy and an offer or an ask is the price at which somebody wishes to sell. Now, when the bid and ask coincide, a trade is made, right? So when somebody uh, wants to sell something for the same price that somebody wants to buy something for, the, the trade is ultimately made. The overall market is made up of millions of investors and traders uh, who may have differing ideas about the value of a specific stock and thus the price at which they are willing to buy or sell it at. Because you have to understand, uh, the price of a stock tells you what the stock is worth to the market, right? What the company is worth to the market. Because if you take the price of the stock and multiply it by the number of shares outstanding, that should tell you the value of the company that the market thinks is worth, right? Uh, so ultimately, a bunch of people are going to have a bunch of different ideas as to exactly what uh, a stock is worth at a given time. Now, uh, the thousands of transactions that occur as these investors and traders convert their intentions uh, to actions by buying and selling a stock uh, cause minute-by-minute -minute gyrations uh, in it over the course of a trading day. A stock exchange provides a platform where such trading can be easily conducted by matching buyers and sellers of stocks, right? So that's what the exchanges are there to do. Okay. For the average person to get access to these exchanges, they would need a stockbroker, uh, which acts as the middleman between the buyer and seller. So getting a stockbroker is most commonly accomplished by creating an account with some retail broker. So with uh, Charles Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity or things like that, you don't actually have to call or have a broker uh, that's an individual that will do this on your behalf. Now, the stock market also offers a fascinating example of the laws of supply and demand. Right. So for every stock transaction, there must be a buyer and seller because of the immutable laws of supply and demand. If there are more buyers than there are sellers, the stock price will trend up. That's just natural. Right. As for any good. Think about it uh, just in a very simple way. Right. Um, PlayStations. OK. And I know I'm, I don't want to lose any of you guys here, but let's just think about PlayStation for a second and like the PS5. You can't find a PS5 really anywhere unless you want to buy like the deluxe package or whatever. And even if you could find them, you're not finding them at a discount, right? You're finding them at maybe even a premium uh, to what they would be selling at otherwise. Why? Because demand is very high because Christmas is here, right? Uh, it, it's that time of year. Um, but supply is also very low because there are supply chain issues, okay? So that creates a higher price because there are more buyers in the market than there are sellers, okay? Makes plenty of sense. Now, the bid-ask or bid-offer spread, which is the difference between the bid price and the offer price, represent the difference between the highest price a buyer is willing to pay um, for, or bid for a stock and the lowest price uh, at which a seller is offering for the stock. Okay. Now, 
A trade transaction occurs when a buyer accepts the ask price or a seller takes the bid price. If buyers outnumber sellers, uh, they may be willing to raise their bids in order to acquire the stock. Sellers will therefore ask higher prices for it, ratcheting the price up. If sellers outnumber buyers, they will be willing to accept lower offers for the stock, uh, while buyers will also lower their bids, effectively forcing the price down. Because ultimately, if you want to sell something right, and you want to get it off your hands, uh, and you're asking too high of a price, right? You're saying, I want to sell it for, let's just say $100, but nobody's willing to pay $100. Well, you'll come down to the point where somebody's actually willing to buy it, right? Which will bring the price of the stock down. And the same goes for when the stock's going up, right? If you want to sell something, you want to get the most for it you can. And if you want to buy something, but a bunch of other people want to buy it too, you're going to race uh, for that higher price and we'll keep pushing the price higher and higher. Now, some stock markets rely on professional traders to maintain continuous bids and offers since a motivated buyer or seller may not find each other at any given moment. These are known as specialists or market makers, not super important uh, to us here. Okay. Now, a company may or may not be listed on one of the exchanges. Okay. Uh, now, until recently, the ultimate goal for an entrepreneur was to get his or her company listed on an exchange like the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, or the NASDAQ. Uh, because of the obvious benefits, and these benefits are uh, liquidity, right? Liquidity means uh, the ability to turn shares into cash. So how quickly you can find a buyer or seller, right? That's liquidity, okay? It also enables the company to raise additional funds by issuing more shares, super valuable. Having publicly tradable shares makes it easier to set up stock option plans that can attract talented employees, okay? Not going to jump too far into that, but that's a fact as well. Listed companies have greater visibility in the market, so analysts cover them um, and institutional investors want them and that can increase the share price. Listed shares can be used as currency by the company to make acquisitions in which uh, part or all of the consideration is paid in stock. Right? These benefits mean that most large companies are public rather than private. Very large private companies such as food and agricultural giant Cargill, uh, industrial conglomerate Coke Industries, and DIY furniture retailer IKEA are among the world's most valuable private companies, and they are the exception rather than the norm. Okay? Um, so this is ultimately what's going on in the stock market, and it's ultimately why so many of the companies you know and love are publicly traded on the stock market, right? Uh, I mean, the Apples, the Amazons, the Netflix, the Googles, like all these companies that you know, they are publicly traded. And some of the brands that you think are companies, if you just looked up who owned them, uh, the company that owns them are publicly traded. Now, what about investing in stocks? Because ultimately, we can talk about the stock market all we want. I talk about investing in stocks, investing in the stock market. Um, how does that work? Well, numerous studies have shown that over long periods of time, stocks generate investment returns that are superior to those from every other asset class. Stock returns arise from capital gains and dividends. And this is a very simple um, you know, distinction. A capital gain is the increase in the price of the asset just because the price went up or uh, a capital loss when the price goes down. Okay? But a dividend is an actual payment that a company makes to an investor uh, and they don't have to do this, right? This doesn't have to, have to be done. They can reinvest that money into the company, but some choose to do so and some choose to buy back shares and all those types of things. But again, not going to dig too far into that. Investors who want to swing for the fences uh, with the stocks in their portfolio, uh, they should have a higher tolerance for risk, right? A lot of investing in the stock market has to do with your risk tolerance and your ability to take on uh, certain risks. Now, 
much of what I teach on this show, what, much of what I tell individuals to do uh, is to buy index funds. Something that I do is buy index funds, right? Because they are simple. And if you're somebody who's watching this episode, uh, I would assume you don't know a ton about investing just yet. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you should be investing. Many of us are, right? And maybe you need to understand what an index fund is. Well, the stock market has multiple different indexes. And what these indexes do is they just track uh, the movement of different stocks in the market. So there's like the S&P 500, one of the, the most popular indexes in the world. And it tracks 500 of the largest companies in the United States, right? And that will give you a pretty good idea of how the United States economy is doing, how uh, things are going in the U.S. stock market. There's also the NASDAQ. NASDAQ covers some smaller firms, more technology-based firms, uh, but there's that as well. Uh, there's the Russell indexes, Russell 1000, Russell 2000, uh, which covers a lot more companies than the S&P 500, uh, but also gives you access to you know the small and mid-sized companies where the S&P 500 doesn't. And you can find index funds right that track all of these indexes. So basically saying you can't directly invest in the S&P 500, but you can find a fund that does. Because think about the ability to buy 500 different stocks. And let's just say on average, they're priced at $100 a piece, right? That's $50,000 you would need just to have an equal weight, right? Just an equal weight in uh, that particular uh, index. But indexes aren't equally weighted, right? The, the bigger companies have a heavier weight than the smaller companies do. And so uh, in order to get access to these indexes, uh, you have to invest in a fund, in a mutual fund or an ETF, which are just bunches of stocks, right? Uh, just bunches of the stocks in these indexes all put together. Uh, and it's a bunch of different people's money that gets pooled in order to buy uh, these indexes in the way that they're actually set up. And there's a portfolio manager that puts all that together for you. Now, obviously, you can buy individual stocks as well, but there is far more risk associated with an individual stock than there is something like an index fund. Now, mutual funds and ETFs don't have to be indexed. They can be uh, just actively managed, as we say, right? Passively managed would be an index fund, but actively managed is where the portfolio manager chooses to invest uh, how he or she pleases based on the objective of the fund. And you can also invest in those types of things, even though over a long period of time, they have underperformed uh, the stock market indexes, right? So, Hopefully, right, all that I've told you about to this point gives you a decent idea of what the stock market is, what stocks are, and exactly how you can get involved, right? There are great online brokers that you can use, right? You can use uh, Vanguard, you can use Fidelity, you can use Charles Schwab, you can use all these different companies uh, that would be uh, very useful in order to get started investing. Now, I would do a lot more uh, in the way of learning before I began investing if this was your first um, you know, understanding of what the stock market is. I would do a lot more learning. I would uh, take some more time, dig in a little deeper. I have a ton of episodes on investing, the stock market, all those types of things. Knowledge is power when it comes to investing, right? If you don't understand what you're investing in, then you're going to take unnecessary risks, right? Uh, because think about, you know, if you buy something uh, and you bought something that, um, let's say, you really didn't need, or you buy something that was more of a hassle than you thought it would be. So let's just say, um, you know, you decided on a whim that you wanted a dog, right? Uh, and you go and buy the dog and you realize, 
pretty quickly, I did not really want this dog. Well, it's hard to unload a dog, right, and get rid of a dog. But the same kind of thing happens in the stock market all the time, right? Uh, you go and you buy, but you don't understand what all it's going to entail. And then you end up selling it, right? And you end up losing money. Uh, you end up not being satisfied with your transaction. You have buyer's remorse, right? And that's not what I want for you. I want you to have the best understanding that you can have. I want you to be knowledgeable and educated. And I want you to know these fundamental things like what the stock market is uh, before you ever jump into it and before you ever make any investment decisions. Yes, this is the baseline, but this does not give you just, you know, full range to go and invest in whatever you want to, because now you have a little understanding. This is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just a basic understanding of what uh, is going on and what has gone on over a long period of time. And hopefully you can take this and build upon it because ultimately you can make some outstanding gains in the stock market. The stock market is here uh, for you to be able to, um, just make outstanding returns and, and, you know, invest for your retirement, invest for your kid's college, all these different types of things. And I'll just leave you with this, right? If you would have begun investing 40 years ago, um, and you just invested money systematically over that time into an S and P 500 index fund and reinvested your dividends, you would have made 12.201% annually, uh, in that fund. And if you compound that money and do that math, that can become some outstanding uh, money, some outstanding returns for you over a long period of time. And that's what I want for you. And that's why I give you these fundamentals. So hopefully you can build on them and hopefully you can become just as good of an investor uh, as anybody else out there by learning more, by doing more of your homework, and then ultimately getting involved in this game that you don't understand completely until uh, you actually put some money to work. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in Monday as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.